Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie. Well, welcome everybody to our February show. It is that time of month again. I know you're all looking forward to this, and I thank you for all listening in. February is such a great month. It's a month of Valentine's Day, which we celebrated last week. So I hope you all had a great Valentine's Day and that you felt loved and you expressed your love to those special people in your life. First of all, I'm going to mention some special people to us, and here are honorable mentions. First of all, birthdays. Lots of people have birthdays in February, so it was nine months before this date. Uh, We have Dr. Bernard Bendock, who's head of neurosurgery at Mayo, who celebrated a birthday this month. He was a former guest in our show. Lisa Scaglione had a birthday. Marie Woodburn in Connecticut is having a birthday next week. The newly appointed Deputy Secretary of Commerce, Thomas Gilman in Washington, D.C., had a birthday. He shares that birthday with Leslie Ridenauer, who is a special guest today on our show, and we'll get to hear from Leslie uh, in the next half. Also, my nurse practitioner, Lauren Siniskalki, is having a birthday tomorrow, and she shares that birthday with Robert McGann, who is the father to my daughter-in-law and who shares grandchildren with me, so that's a good birthday for him. Also, some special people in my life, Mark and Melissa Weaver, my wonderful stepchildren who are celebrating their birthday. They're twins. They're having their birthdays next week. And celebrating their birthday today, drumroll please, our friend Rob Harden in Texas, Michael Kaiser in Colorado, a friend of mine, Ronald Moore in Paradise Valley, and he's there with his wife Gloria listening in before they go to dinner. And last but absolutely not least of all, celebrating their birthday in studio with us is my beloved husband, John Weber. Happy birthday, sweetheart. (laughs) So he's, what, 36 now? Yes, I'm a a major, major, major cougar here. So happy birthday to all of you. And I want to also reach out to our listeners, uh, Reverend Greg Anderson, his wife Carolyn and Aspen good friends of ours from our days at Aspen Glen Chapel. Thanks for listening in. There's a wedding anniversary of my dear friends Ray and Maddie Williams, who are celebrating 51 years of married bliss on Saturday. Another couple that's been married a long time are Bob and Marianne McLean. They are not celebrating an anniversary, but I just wanted to say hello to them because we originally were going to have them on our show to ask them about love and marriage and friendship, but they have friends visiting and couldn't make it, so they're here in spirit. But as part of my honorable mentions, you know, I'm mentioning a lot of the living, but I also want to mention somebody who came to me by way of an obituary, because I think as the older we get, we look at obituaries, and I tend to do that, and one of the ones that caught my eyes was in the Wall Street Journal last week, and let me read some of the parts of this obituary. This is the obituary for Rosemary Mariner. She was born in 1953, passed in 2019, and the title of her obituary was Women Aviators Owe a Debt to Navy Pioneer. Rosemary Mariner recalled meeting a visiting airline executive when she was an aeronautics student at Purdue University in the early 1970s. Women, he assured her, would never be accepted as airline pilots. Well, the U.S. Navy had other ideas when she joined the Navy in 1973. Within two years, Rosemary became the first woman to fly a Navy jet. When I hit a wall, I'm going to get under it, over it, or around it, she told the LA Times. Women had flown other types of planes, of course. Amelia Earhart's flying exploits made her famous in the 1920s. During World War II, civilian women tested aircraft and trained men to fly. By 1972, though, women still hadn't come a long way in military aviation. This is when Admiral Elmo Zumwalt called for training women to fly Navy aircraft. Mariner was one of the first eight women selected to train under that program. She learned to fly 15 different planes, landed on aircraft carriers, rose to the rank of captain, and became the first woman to command a military aviation squadron. After retiring from the Navy in 1997, Captain Mariner taught military history at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. She died of ovarian cancer January 24th at age 65. She was buried at a cemetery near Maynardville, Tennessee, February 2nd. And on that day, four Navy F.A. 18 
super hornet jets all piloted by women flew over to honor her so i think that's an amazing tribute to a pioneer who broke the glass ceiling for aviators women aviators in the navy and i and it comes to mind we've got i've got here in my in my studio uh, another fellow naval officer admiral ridenauer who's our special guest and my husband john weber who's a who's an aviator so i think it combined both of that so i i think of 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 someone like that who's really accomplished great things so our theme for this month is love and birthdays, obviously, but I want to talk about longevity because that's the main theme for this show for this year. What does it take to live a long, happy, vital life? And last month in studio, we were honored to feature our special guest, University of Chicago professor of sociology, Dr. J. Olshansky, who studies longevity. Dr. Oshansky wrote a very important article about seven years ago in which he refuted the long-held assumption that the American presidency ages a person. And in fact, rather than age them, there were perks of being president. And one of the perks was longer life. So Dr. Oshansky's research showed that even though the American presidents appeared to age over time, over four to eight years with gray hair and wrinkles, they actually outlived the people who voted them into office. Now, why does that happen? What is it about being the American president allows you to live longer than people vote you in? One of the theories that people had brought about was, well, because they're more educated, right? Well, a recent study in the American Medical Association said that it wasn't really education because that not necessarily puts you at, at, as an advantage or living longer. So in the, my upcoming book, which I'm still working on as my husband prods me to write it, The 11 Presidential Secrets to Longevity, I share all those secrets that allow American presidents to live longer and what can we learn from them so that we can live long and vital lives. And one of those secrets of longevity is partner or spouse. And so what is it about them, you know, long life and having a partner? Well, one classic example was my late former patient, George Herbert Walker Bush. He passed away in November, months after Barbara, his wife of 72 years, passed away. He was 94 when he passed, and she was 93, and again, they were married 72 years. But of course, not to be outdone, former President Jimmy Carter and his wife Rosalind celebrated Valentine's Day last week watching a uh, game at the uh, Atlanta State Farm Arena, and the kiss camera went around, caught them, and prompted Jimmy Carter to kiss his wife. Well, Jimmy's 94, Rosalind's 91, they've been married 73 years. So I would say good marriages promote longevity, and the other part is true that bad marriages hasten death. So I did a little research about what is it about marriages and longevity. A lot of studies are going to support that a healthy marriages, healthy marriages increase longevity and they boost your physical and emotional health. A lot of the studies were done by Deidre Fitzgerald, who is a PhD assistant professor of psychology in Connecticut. And what she says, Dr. Fitzgerald says, there's a wealth of studies that have been done to show that mental and physical benefits of a healthy marriage, no matter what your gender, age, or sex. So there's a lot of benefits including longevity, well-being, cardiovascular fitness. Her research shows that people in stable, healthy marriage live longer and enjoy better health than people who are divorced, widowed, separated, or never married. The benefits include, and those people who are married, check these off, a decrease in the rate of premature death, less domestic violence, less depression, less substance abuse, better heart health, better ability to heal wounds. So who benefits the most from a healthy marriage? Although the benefits are across the board the same, they are not the same for everyone, they say. Some people benefit more than others. Here's what research shows. Men benefit more than women. Let me read that again to my husband. <laughs> a happy marriage, men benefit more than women. Although both men and women benefit from marriage, the effect is greater for men, according to Fitzgerald's study. Men even benefit when they don't perceive their marriage as being very high in quality. Now for women, quality is more important and the benefits drop away as quality decreases. The health benefits of marriage start right away for men, but take longer to develop in women and increase over the duration of the marriage. 
Marriage benefits accrue to all ethnic groups. So the benefits of a healthy marriage are not restricted to any particular racial group for the people out there who are looking at that. Young married couples take fewer health risks when they are happily married. People in a healthy marriage between the ages of 20 and 45 significantly reduce their risk of early death from risky behaviors such as substance abuse and reckless driving because your wife gets to nag you about slowing down. And so these are particularly true for men but also for women according to those studies. Older married couples stay healthy longer. Studies show that elderly couples in healthy marriages are generally healthier than their peers who are widowed, divorced, or never married. For example, widowed adults over age 65 are three times more likely to report being disabled than their married peers. Elderly single women seem to cope better than men. So that's interesting. And again, as we say, bad marriage can wreak havoc. The opposite holds true that a healthy marriage can keep you that way, but a ma bad marriage can make you sick. A lot, of, uh, a lot of health risks associated with bad marriage, high blood pressure, heart disease, increased rates of cancer, anxiety, depression, substance abuse. Although both men and women suffer from a bad marriage, the effects tend to be harder on women. And I talked to my women patients about that. I've actually even told some of my women patients it's time to, to get some counseling, consider a divorce because it's affecting your health. 90% of 48-year-old married men will live to reach the age 65, but only 65% of divorced 48-year-old men will live that long. And the U.S. Department of Justice statistics show that a healthy marriage is relatively safe from domestic violence. One of the most dangerous times for a woman is during separation or divorce from an abusive marriage. <clears throat> a bad marriage creates a highly stressful environment which increases the likelihood of divorce. So we know all about those things. So definitely a bad thing to happen to you if you're in an unhappy marriage. So how do you have a happy marriage? Obviously, you got to find the right person, right? How do you pick the right person? How do you have a long, happy marriage? Well, I'm really blessed today in studio to have three important people who are going to be our guests. I can interview and ask them their thoughts about happy marriages, friends, and longevity. And I'm going to introduce, first of all, somebody I've known for 37, 38 years now, Dr. Richard Ridenauer. I have known Dr. Ridenauer when I was an intern at the Naval Hospital in San Diego. He was the internship director, and I had to check in with him, sign off the, uh, the check-in list. I've had the pleasure of knowing him out throughout his very distinguished career as a Naval officer, board-certified psychiatrist, Naval officer, who moved on to retire with two stars, as a, as, a, as a rear admiral. He was a former medical, medical officer of the Marine Corps, the former commander of the Bethesda Naval Hospital, and it was during my time under Bush, Clinton, Bush that, um, that Dr. Ridenauer was the commanding officer and was very supportive of, of us at the White House. And then afterwards, he became president of Marion College, Marion University in Fond du Lac, which is a Catholic liberal arts college. And he and his wife, Leslie, moved to Scottsdale about 10 years ago. Uh, he's had many achievements. And one of the things I, I talk about, I said, well, how would you like us to describe you? And he says, just tell everybody I'm just a good guy. Well, I say he's a wonderful friend. He's an excellent psychiatrist. He's an exemplary naval officer, innovative, dynamic, university president, a man of wisdom. But I'm also going to talk about his better half, his partner in life, Leslie Ridenauer. Uh, they met in college. I think I'll, I'd like them to share their love story. But Leslie, by training, is a former speech therapist. She's been the wife of Admiral Ridenauer uh, for many years. And that's actually special. It's hard to be the wife of the admiral. Uh, a lot of times, I really believe the admiral's wife outranks everybody, outranks the admiral. But they met at the University of Miami in, uh, over 40 years ago, retired to Scottsdale. They are huge collectors of DVDs and movie tapes and they're my movie experts so I just got the prompt that I've got a few minutes left uh, in this first segment I just want Dick and Leslie to say hello and then we're gonna go to a break and then come back and ask them lots of questions so say hi Dr. Dick hello Connie it's so nice to be with you again how about you Leslie hi Connie it's a pleasure <laughs> <laughs> okay let's go to a break and we'll come back and I can have them I can a ask them all these questions I have in store so stand by for a quick break and come back to Dr. Connie's house calls with Dr. Richard Ridenauer and Leslie Ridenauer <laughs>
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano. This is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Well, our February month show is all about love, 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 because it's Valentine's Day last week, and it's birthday today for lots of people. And one of the things that made me realize this is that one of the factors that prolongs life, quality life, is love and happy marriages. And I've invited in studio today Dr. Richard Ridenauer, Dr. Dick Ridenauer, and his beautiful wife Leslie Ridenauer, who I've I've known Dr. Dick for oh goodness 38 years, and I've known both of them over 30 years, definitely. And by the way, you, this is your third time on our show, along with my husband John Weaver. So thanks for coming on board. But I wanted to talk about marriages and how having a happy marriage, a wonderful marriage, prolongs your life. And you're among my friends who have enjoyed a good marriage. Uh, you know, you haven't been married multiple times. This is the original wife, the original husband. And you've been through lots of phases in your life, from college love to military life to life of being a working um, president of a university and now retirement. So you've had a lot of phases in your career as a married couple. but. Can you share about your marriage and where you met and how things transitioned over time? Well, when we met, it literally was across, you know, from across a crowded room. And uh, 
I'm beginning to think over the years, maybe it was just imprinting, like ducks. And <laughs> I, I follow him, he follows me. <laughs> so that's how we met. But was there something about him? I mean, you yeah. saw him, you heard his voice. I mean, was... I, I knew in advance about him. Uh, he had been the, uh, the uh, sorority sweetheart. <laughs> And I either thought he was notorious or, or and, and actually he, uh, he was studying to be a doctor at that time and he, he uh, a- arrived in the appropriate outfit, a white coat with a stethoscope literally hanging out of the pocket. <laughs> and I thought, this guy, this guy is the one. Huh. How about you, Doctor Doctor Ridenour? Well, Leslie's right. We we it was I, I I don't know if it was love at first sight, but it certainly was being impressed and uh, knowing that you wanted to meet this person and uh, know more about them. And uh, it didn't take long. We were actually uh, supposed to be introduced that night by a friend. I was invited there by a friend of ours, another sorority sister of Leslie's. Leslie was a new pledge in the sorority, and. Uh, we were. She was going to introduce us, but the time by the time she got there, Leslie and I had already uh, met and uh, had already agreed on our first date, which was the next night, I think. So, uh, and it's been the two of us together ever since, f- almost forty-nine years now. Forty-seven years. Forty-seven years. So you you both agree it's been forty-seven years. So I always ask couples that've been married a long time, what what is your secret to your happy marriage? Uh, I give some credit to birth order in families and I wish there were literature attending to to the issue and I'm an eldest child and Dick is an only or the youngest child they kind of are compatible in that sense and I think uh, an older child uh, is is generally taught to sort of lead the others correct behaviors <laughs> responsible and, 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 exactly <laughs> and and uh, dick is the only child uh, and i think onlys and uh and uh, uh, this the last child generally turn out to be the most creative leadership oriented um and i think a lot of people w- would agree to that um the two of us i think just sort of uh, ended up um complementing each other in the sense that we had the same values, but you ask, well, how do you complement each other? And that's where I feel the birth order thing came came into practice. Um, Dick, uh, uh, as the only, I think, was a lot more creative and adventurous and was given that permission by his parents. Again, I think parenting, of course, you know, c- comes into play here, too. Um, and he uh, he was just always fun to follow, and we more or less gave each other permission. And and uh, as as the elder child, I think maybe I gave a little more order to our lives when it needed it. And uh, just those two examples are the first ones I could think of. But I wish th- I wish the birth order thing was something that somebody would look up. Hmm. I wonder if there's research about that. Uh, I believe there is, and uh, I think I think Leslie's right. And. Uh, uh, as the, the older we get and the more, the longer we are together, the more order she brings to our life. And uh, thank goodness, because um, we w- I can think of a lot of things as a couple that we would not never have done, like begin to save money, if it hadn't really been for Leslie, because uh, that's just the, th- the kinds of things that she thought about. But, you know, when I think about it, and you, you ask what makes a good marriage, what I think about is two people who appreciate each other, trust each other, but most importantly, and I wish I could say I do this all the time, but most importantly, truly listen to each other so that they actually hear what the other person said instead of an interpretation of what the other person said. Or react, right? Yes, or or react. Especially uh, because the older you get, the more time you spend together, the more you know each other's hot buttons. So when you do disagree, the more you are able to get to the quick of the matter and turn the other person uh, inside out very quickly. And so it's important to listen. Well, you're trained as a psychiatrist. And has that helped you in marriage? Or has that not helped you in marriage? <laughs> I, I think, it's done, I think it's, it's, it, it goes both ways. If you take yourself too seriously and think you know all the answers. And mm-hmm. I like to think that I, I say to people, you go to parties and they, they say, well, are you playing psychiatrist? And I say, no, I, I don't play psychiatrist unless I'm getting paid for it. <laughs> and, and I'm retired now. So I, when Leslie and I got married, I thought we got married so I could take care of her. The longer we're together, the more I understand that she's been the one who's done the most taking care of. 
mm-hmm. so uh, which I have learned to appreciate very much. Now you've you've had such a wild ride. I mean, and I look at the hats that you both have worn. You know, you as a physician and going you know going through med school as a physician, entering the navy, all the duty stations, becoming a an admiral, uh, all the tours in the military life, and then going to be a college president, and then you know as Leslie. You know, the limelight's always been your husband, but you're you're there. You help him shine. Has that been tough, watching him be at the, always I think, the star? I think the key, uh, when you, you bring up those uh, those separate roles and how they uh, assimilate uh, at, at some point, is uh, is that I, uh, Dick has, has always been thoughtful in making sure that there was a role. Best example that I can think of was uh, he, he was disappointed at the Naval Hospital in Bethesda, not looking, you know, n- not having the historic sense that it should have. It just had any, anybody's, you know, picture on the wall and it, it didn't tell a story. And so we created a, uh, uh, a committee called uh, the Pride of Place Committee, which I named. I loved the book <laughs> a long time ago. And uh, I, th- I think we were, we've just always been off and running every time we move because there's always been a role. But I, I do want to point out that uh, there's a couple here, particularly you, uh, Connie and John, that have been, uh, you know, just going full tilt in, in your marriage. And 10 years is a wonderful uh, decade of, of incredible memories for all of us. and. I, I particularly was sort of interested in um, where where John fit into the birth order thing, going way back to my first start. Well, I was going to never knew. Well, that's a good. Thanks for bringing up John. I was actually going to bring him into the the latter part, but let me introduce my husband John Weber, who's in studio today. I should have this right, right? He's uh, originally <laughs> born. Uh, he was born 63 years ago in Calgary, Canada. He uh, went to school, obviously, in Canada, and was going to go to Royal Roads. Uh, learned all about gliding, was going to go into a career in the Canadian military, and then unfortunately had an accident, recovered, but moved on, went on to college, University of Toronto, uh, graduated with honors in mechanical engineering, worked for Shell Oil Industry in the Tarzans, and then and then was under a bet. Somebody bet him that he couldn't get into graduate school. Well, he got into graduate school at Harvard Business School, didn't even know where Cambridge was, <laughs> went to uh, graduate with honors from Harvard Business School, went to work uh, for McKinsey in Houston, and then for General Electric for several times, Baxter Healthcare. Many companies uh, moved every two to three years and had an incredible career and was known really as the turnaround guy. W- respected in, in his field, knowledgeable, just really turning around companies, making them profitable. And I met John about 17 years ago at the Executive Health Program at Mayo Clinic Scottsdale. That's a good reason that you should get your annual exam because it's life-changing. Yeah. You never know who you might marry, even your doctor. And he was Great my pa- place to pick up chicks, <laughs> the Mayo Clinic. <laughs> Great. And so I, I met him. He was a patient of mine. He was married to his first wife. I was married to my first husband, and I was very professional. And he stayed on as my patient every year. He'd come back the following year. He told me he'd gotten a divorce. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. And then when I formed my private practice 14 years ago, he signed up for it, moved to Indiana to turn around Remy Delco. And I would see him once a year for his physical. And it wasn't until about 11, 12 years ago I was going through a divorce. He was in my office and I was saying, well, how are you? I mean, you've been divorced now five years. Are you, you know, dating? Have you met anybody? He tells me all these horror stories. And I say, listen, listening to you, your horror stories, I'm never going <laughs> to date anybody. He goes, I thought you were married. I said, I'm going through a divorce. I've moved out. I'm getting divorced. And he says, marry me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, no, I, I, I can't. That's, that's, that's unethical. I cannot marry. I can't even date you. Forget it. So I sent him back to Indiana and he relentlessly pursued me. And he won me over with his wit, wisdom, and I married him after my divorce was final about two years later, and we've been together happily ever since. But that's my version of the story. As my late father would say, I don't know about your mom, but I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) They were married 63 years, but, but John's here in studio. But birth order, I'm, of course, as you would know, a firstborn of three, and John is... The baby. The baby of three. Uh, an older sister, Sister Jan, who a, was a physical therapist, psychologist, was about 11 years older, so she was like the mama figure. 
And then the middle sister is about, was five, six years older. She's since passed, but he was the baby. So it's an interesting thing. It's hard to have two firstborns butting heads. So you've got to have sort of that balance of that. But, but going back to your love story, there's, there aren't any marriages that don't have conflict. That's normal. Yeah, there's, you're going to disagree. You're going to have Absolutely. conflict. How do you resolve that? <laughs> <laughs> They're both laughing. <laughs> well, variety of ways. There's <laughs> a variety of ways. But I, I, I think the easiest way, uh, just going back to the other day when we had a disagreement, again, it's, it's, it's a little space. Back off a little space and then think if what you heard and your interpret this happened to be about a, a, a particular thing that was said one way and heard another way and the reaction to what was thought to be heard and then when you go back and you really figure out what happened and I, I think again it's having that trust in each other where you you know you you care about each other you love each other and the willingness to listen through a conflict instead of react right away and, instead of react and even if you do react i, I mean saying you're sorry is not a small thing mm. And uh, I, I, but again, it, it's having a trust that the other person really cares about you, loves you. You look at all the things that you've been through together, um, and uh, we're still learning from me. I'm still learning from Leslie. Um, she motivates me to do a lot of things uh, that I d would never do by myself, and and uh, I hope I motivate her to appreciate all that she's done for us and me, which I am never comfortable that she fully appreciates, like you mentioned in the career changes. Leslie's always had to start over again. When we started in the Navy, when I started in the Navy as a, as a resident, Leslie said to me, I don't want to stay in the Navy. Your dad was a Navy dentist and she had moved and all this. And I said, no, I'm just passing through. And <laughs> I, so I later. sort of lied to her, but it was not an intentional lie. And she's gone along with it all this time. And without her, None, none of the things that the, the luck that's happened to me would have would have really been possible. Leslie, how have you changed in your marriage? Well, I wish I could say that I've become more understanding, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I am generally. Um, I I think uh, I, I think I've just uh, established a, a great, a more much more greatly gratitude uh, relationship uh, with uh, not, not only Dick, but uh, every, every person I see, if I can. I, I, I try to recognize them, what they're doing, what they've done for us, what, uh, even what seems to be uh, a question, questionable day for them, perhaps. And uh, I, I think that that uh, transfers, translates into a good relationship at home, too, because you just feel good about it sometimes if you feel that it might help. One of the things that, a memory that came up just talking to you was when you had moved into your pla place in Fountain Hills and you were decorating your house and you took it, you found some music and you both danced. <laughs> and you just spontaneously just danced. and. One of the things Leslie brought up when you met, you look, you saw him across the room. It's like one of those old songs from the 40s and 50s. And what the essence is, is romance. And I look with sorrow upon youth of America today when they date, because where, where is the romance? If you're texting somebody or if you're meeting for casual sex, where is the romance? If you're, I mean, I don't see it. Where's the background music? There's no, one well, thing, you know? I mean, but, we, I think we grew up at a time that there was romance, there was courting, there was trying to, you know, flirt or whatever you did to, you know, do your, your special dance to attract your partner. And I think, I think kids nowadays don't get that. I mean, what would you advise somebody dating nowadays, how to find the right partner? Get to know, really get to know the person. I mean, it's hard to do that going to dinner and both on your cell phones and really get to know the other person. But also, you have to understand and know yourself. You really have to appreciate the strengths and weaknesses of you and your characters and what you're good at, what you're not good at, what your spouse is good at, or, or what your significant other is good at, not good at. Um, it, it's, it's very important. I, 
I'm a very strong advocate of the so-called Myers-Briggs type personality typecasting, and without getting into that, it's not a good-bad thing. It's just the way you prefer to do things. Is it true that in studies they show in male brain development that the the judgment portion of most male brains isn't developed till 27, 28? I, I think that's true, and, and it, it's interesting, but... Um, <clears throat> and the last no letter of the Myers-Briggs four letters is J and P. One's for judging and one's for, the P is for more of a, less judging. And, and more women have a P and more men are the, are the J's. Perceiving. Perceiving, perceiving. right. For perceiving you, more. You. Yes. So you've got to be mentally ready, know yourself really be secure in that, right? I mean, I mean it, one of the stories that I, it is, uh, that I love is, you know, when you... It, when you go out to dinner with somebody and you get in the car and one person says to the other person, let's go to dinner. And you say, where do you want to go? And they say, well, anywhere you want to go. And you say, okay, let's go to Chinese. And the other person says, I don't think about Chinese. So you run through Italian, Chinese. And <laughs> finally, you get to the point where you say, okay, where do you not want to go? And they tell you, you know, so it, it's that once you understand that about each other, you can agree where you're so going you before you get in the car. Yeah. Yeah, what do you want? So we're going to pause for a break, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about communication, marriage, friendship, and, and we're going to interview John Weber on his special day, talking about love, friends, marriage, great marriage, and how it prolongs life. So stay tuned for more on Dr. Connie's House Calls. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano, this is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. We all have unique experiences and outlooks when it comes to leadership and team building, yet sometimes we clash, even when trying to achieve the exact same goals. Check out Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. Your host is Dr. Cass Henry. A shared journey equals success, and every human interaction has the power to achieve this success by working together. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You can like and comment on the Voice America Empowerment Channel Facebook page. This is the place to get and share advice from some of the best leaders on the planet. Get started today by searching for Voice America Empowerment or click the like button under the player today. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. 
Dr. Dick Ridenour and Leslie Ridenour and my beloved husband, John Weber, who's the birthday boy today. <laughs> We're all talking about good marriages, what makes a good marriage, how do you find the right person, how do you keep a marriage going, and it's about friendship in general. One of the things you brought up is, you know, how do you resolve differences and you brought up the point you have to communicate. You have to be able to understand that person, communicate, actually listen without reacting to them. One of the things that I, I notice in, in happy marriage is laughter, that you're actually laughing with your spouse versus at them. And I, and I try to have this apply to the younger audience as well. How do you find the right person? They have all these dating sites. You know, what do you look for? Nobody really teaches you. What do you look for in a spouse? And a lot of people think, well, I'll just wait till I'm in my 30s or 40s. And, and Megan, there's a, actually there's a psychologist, uh, Dr. Meg Jay, who wrote a book called The Defining Decade, in which she said that the most important decade really is your 20s because it sets you up for your 30s or 40s. So don't, don't waste your time not looking for the right people in your 20s because who are you picking your 20s and what you do in your 20s really sets you up for success or failure later in life and how do you choose wisely is so important. One of the things John, John talks about and, and, and I really believe my husband is probably the wisest man I know. He has these great Weberisms and he says the older you get the more you get like yourself. <laughs> and one of the things that comes to mind as I think about happy marriages is respect. That you really have to have respect for that other human being. That I see marriages fail because they take the other person for granted they're almost like discarded as another, you know, you're an appendage, you don't count. And do you not treat or should you not treat your spouse as somebody you revere with the utmost of respect and courtesy? Would you not afford them that? You know, that's, that's one thing that I think is important, that you share laughter, you communicate, that you respect each other. But I'm going to see what John thinks. What do you think, John? <laughs> that was yes. a pretty open-ended question. Uh, let's see how I can screw this up. Um, the, uh, well, one of your first observations, uh, I think, was that it, it's always fun, and it's something that I've observed, is that uh, when you're with couples that, that laugh together, it's such a wonderful experience. And you know, they see the humor, they see the world the same way. Um, and I think, I, th I really think that that's probably one of the most important glues in relationships like that. Um, respect, I think, is absolutely imperative. And, and I think it re requires more refinement because in my experience, you know, it's fine for people to say, you know, I respect that person, I respect my wife, I respect my husband. But I think it's gotta be active respect. Um, uh, actually, an act of respect and active respect. And what I mean by that is it's fine to say I respect so-and-so, but sometimes in a good marriage with a good spouse, sometimes your spouse may make some observations uh, that you don't appreciate, that you're not ready to hear, and you need, as, a, as the person receiving that, to actively respect the expertise, or even the observation, it may not even be expert observation, but just the observation of your spouse, and have enough respect to onboard that and act on it. Um, even if the acting on it is simply to say, um, I, I hear what you're saying, I acknowledge what you're saying, uh, I can see why you think that, I don't agree with it, or I agree with it, and here's what's gonna be different. So I think so many people fall in the trap of saying, oh, I respect my spouse, or I respect my wife, I respect my husband. But then you watch how that reflects in everyday interactions, everyday observations, and it's not made active. Uh, there's a great, uh, great expression. I'm probably going to get it backwards because I'm only a little dyslexic. But um, work is love made visible is actually one of my favorite expressions. And that work may not be building a house or you know fixing a dryer or whatever else, but the work of active love uh, and and putting that effort into it, I think, is really important. Your thoughts? Oh, I think love is work. Love takes work. A lot of people don't appreciate that, and I, th I think John says it beautifully. I think I think love is work, and and uh, appreciating that. You know, if everybody could have this special formula, you know what makes a great marriage, because it does impact everything in your life. And one of the things I want to ask about from you all is about friendship. You know, make sure that your spouse is your best friend, but we also have other friends. And when you look at 
you know, the people in our lives through the years, we look back at our close fr friends. And uh, what makes a good friend? I think um, I'm probably going to be uh, raged on by somebody for being a misogynist or something. But I, I think for men and women, that's a very different experience. Mm -hmm. um, and so I can, hopefully I can only speak for, my <laughs> <laughs> Speaking well, for myself, <laughs> not myself. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, I think for men, uh, friendships are normally evolved around activity. And whether it be golfing or racing airplanes, uh, as I do, and uh, matter of fact, Connie and I share a, sh share a funny uh, story. When I do come home from playing golf, and she'll say, "Well, who'd you golf with?" And I'll say, "Well, Bill, Fred, and Bob." Well, you know, what's their wife's name? I don't know. Do they have kids? I have no idea. But he made a great shot on number seven. <laughs> and when I listen to my friends whose wives play golf, I mean, it's a completely different experience. <laughs> Uh, lots of discussion about relationships and interrelationships and kids and grandkids and how people met and those sorts of things. So I think it's, it's, it's radically different. But in my experience around friendship uh, for, for my male friends, it's sharing the experience. But many of the activities that I enjoy, scuba diving, racing airplanes, you know, skiing, that sort of thing, uh, there's an element, there is elements of risk. And so the friendships that I've developed that have endured over the years uh, have been with individuals that I've both shared that risk, but can trust them that I know uh, what they're going to do. You know, in the Air Force parlance, you know, I'd always trust that guy in my wing. And in racing sailplanes, we can have five or ten airplanes within a wingspan of each other, in a going in a circle. Uh, none of us are militarily trained, we, but we've come to trust. Oh, you know, that's that's uh, uh, John Seaborn, that's John Cochran. You know, I know they're going to do what they're supposed to do, and we'll all be safe because we're. I trust them to do that. And when you build that over a number of years, um, I think that forms for men a, a very deep trusting relationship. Um, with that comes some small parts of sharing and some small parts of chatting about stuff, but it's really 10%, not 90%. How about you, Dr. Dick, your well, friendship? Well, <clears throat> I, I think that f good friendships are a lot like good marriages. I think there's a, a lot in common. Uh, most friends have things in common. They trust each other. Most importantly, and this gets back to when you form your friendships, and a lot of us formed our lifelong friendships in college, uh, high school, uh, shared experiences are crucial if it's playing golf or if it's flying together or the, the great stories about war buddies who have friendships who only knew each other for a short period of time and uh, and have experiences that they the other thing about good friends is and Leslie and I notice this uh, periodically somebody you haven't seen for a long time who's a good friend and you get back together in no time you're, I, the hair stands up on the back of my neck when I actually tell this. It's because you're, you're back where you were. Mm -hmm. uh, you're feeling younger. You remember things. You're as in, you find yourself being as intimate as you were back in the old days. And all, even though you may, your lives have changed and you haven't seen each other, friends like a good marriage, they, like a good wife or a husband, they expand your, they expand your world. They shelter you. They're willing to tell you things when nobody else will tell you. I, I mean, my best critic, uh, at my retirement ceremony back at Bethesda, I, one of the last things I said is, I thank Leslie, and then I said, she is probably the only person here who, when I leave today, will tell me the truth about how <laughs> I did. <laughs> and she said, when I left, you know, when you're the admiral and you leave and people stand up or then you come in, they stand up in the room, and Leslie looked at me and she said, if you think I'm standing up for you anymore when you come into a room when, when you're retired, <laughs> you're crazy. Uh, and it's like a nice, gentle slap upside of the, you know, with the truth, and you suddenly realize what's going on. And, and that's what good friends are, and, and we are friends. Um, and I am very lucky. Uh, I have very, I make friends easily, but I have very few really, really, really good friends like you, Connie, uh, that we've been through so much together in so many years. And uh, I, think, I think people don't appreciate how important friendships are in their lives. They are. How about you, Leslie, your thoughts about friendships? Well, I kind of chalk it up to the varying ways of caring. Um, when John mentioned 
his his friends that he plays golf with or then get they get together and they fly caring thoughtfulness is uh, caring that they they, they will have his uh, his his side or whatever they say that they will they will be fit and ready to fly those planes without even a second thought about whether they will be or not uh, all the way down to just uh, Know, the thoughtfulness that you would hope that anyone would impart uh, caringly every day. And I, I wish that I could be better at it myself, but I'm still working at it. <laughs> but, you know, you're right. It's having good friends is like a good marriage, those features. I always think if, if someone's a good friend, like a good spouse, that relationship helps you become the best you can be. The other thing about a good friend, they know your weaknesses but they don't exploit it. Right, hmm. right. They don't exploit them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, As a matter of fact, often you'll joke with friends. about They'll mm-hmm. kid you about them. But they do it lovingly. Yes, they don't, yes. you know, they're laughing with you, not at you. Absolutely. And they did studies about how many truly, really close friends you can have. It's about five. You know, we have lots of acquaintances, a lot of people you can friend on Facebook. But really, in terms of the closest friends, you can it's about five, as many people you can fit in your, your vehicle. In our case, there's only two we can fit in our car. But I always call them the hide-the-body friends. If you wanted to go off somebody, you probably only tell five people because, you know, somebody to help you do the act, someone to get the shovel, <laughs> someone to bury the body, someone to, you know, drive the truck, all that. So it's only a handful of people, and it's a lot of the shared experience of life and being close to death, as John mentioned, but also, as we recall in the Navy, Dick, you know, the difficult times of training, of being up late hours, being on call, you have that camaraderie. You all suffered together. You know you've lived there. And it is funny when you go back and you see them again, you're back in that place again. And when the the longer you've been married, the older you get, those few good friends start dropping off. If you're lucky, you're still around, (laughs) and you're losing, and you get smaller and smaller, which, which brings to the point that's most important that you are a friend, a good friend with your spouse because there are fewer and fewer good friends and it's harder, it's very hard to make really good friends, I think, as, as you get older. Um, a lot of people have problems with the trust factor. Yeah. So, so let us put you on the, on the griddle here, Dr. <laughs> Connie. So You've asked us. Answer your own question. So my own question about friendship, mm-hmm. what takes a good friend, is really shared values, shared thoughts, but also someone who helps you grow in a, in a non-threatening way and gives you that, for me, sense of humor is important, this mutual respect, but also helps you to grow in ser- several ways and grows beyond that. They are somebody who allows you to be the best you can be. So I'm getting the pointer now for wrapping this up, and I want to I want to thank these three very important people: my wonderful husband John Weber, my dear friends Dick and Leslie Ridenauer for sharing their thoughts and their experiences about happy marriages and how they prolong life, and also about friendships because we're really blessed to have friends among us. So I wish you all a wonderful February month filled with friendships, and if. You're married, I wish you a happy marriage. So God bless you all, and we'll talk to you next month. Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week.